Section 5 of History of Henry IV, King of France and Navarre by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 2, Civil War, Part 2. Henry found himself thus again among his native hills. He was placed under the tuition of a gentleman who had a high appreciation of all that was poetic and beautiful. Henry, under his guidance, devoted himself with great delight to the study of polite literature, and gave free wing to an ennobled imagination as he clambered up the cliffs and wandered over the ravines familiar to the days of his boyhood. His personal appearance in 1567, when he was thirteen years of age, is thus described by a Roman Catholic gentleman who was accustomed to meet him daily in the court of Catherine. We have here the young Prince of Béarn, one cannot help acknowledging that he is a beautiful creature at the age of thirteen he displays all the qualities of a person of eighteen or nineteen he is agreeable he is civil he is obliging others might say that as yet he does not know what he is but for my part who study him very often i can assure you that he does know perfectly well he demeans himself toward all the world with so easy a carriage that people crowd round wherever he is, and he acts so nobly in everything that one sees clearly that he is a great prince. He enters into conversation as a highly polished man. He speaks always to the purpose, and it is remarkable that he is very well informed. I shall hate the reformed religion all my life for having carried off from us so worthy a person." Without this original sin he would be the first after the king, and we should see him in a short time at the head of the armies. He gains new friends every day. He insinuates himself into all hearts with inconceivable skill. He is highly honoured by the men and no less beloved by the ladies. His face is very well formed, the nose neither too large nor too small. His eyes are very soft, his skin brown but very smooth, and his whole features animated with such uncommon vivacity that if he does not make progress with the fair it will be very extraordinary. Henry had not escaped the natural influence of the dissolute society in the midst of which he had been educated, and manifested on his first return to his mother a strong passion for balls and masquerades and all the enervating pleasures of fashionable life. His courtly and persuasive manners were so insinuating that without difficulty he borrowed any sums of money he pleased, and with these borrowed treasures he fed his passion for excitement at the gaming-table. The firm principles and high intellectual elevation of his mother roused her to the immediate and vigorous endeavour to correct all these radical defects in his character and education. She kept him as much as possible under her own eye. She appointed teachers of the highest mental and moral attainments to instruct him, by her conversation and example she impressed upon his mind the sentiment that it was the most distinguished honour of one born to command others to be their superior in intelligence judgment and self-control the prince of navarre in his mother's court at bearn found himself surrounded by protestant friends and influences and he could not but feel and admit the superior dignity and purity of these his new friends catherine worshipped no deity but ambition she was ready to adopt any measures and to plunge into any crimes which would give stability and lustre to her power 
she had no religious opinions or even preferences she espoused the cause of the catholics because on the whole she deemed that party the more powerful and then she sought the entire destruction of the protestants that none might be left to dispute her sway had the protestants been in the majority she would with equal zeal have given them the aid of her strong arm and unrelentingly would have striven to crush the whole papal power jeanne d'albret on the contrary was in principle a protestant she was a woman of reflection of feeling of highly cultivated intellect and probably of sincere piety she had read with deep interest the religious controversies of the day she had prayed for light and guidance she had finally and cordially adopted the protestant faith as the truth of god thus guided by her sense of duty she was exceedingly anxious that her son should be a protestant a protestant christian in most solemn prayer she dedicated him to god's service to defend the faith of the reformers in the darkness of that day the bloody and cruel sword was almost universally recognized as the great champion of truth both parties appeared to think that the thunders of artillery and musketry must accompany the persuasive influence of eloquence if it were deemed important that one hand should guide the pen of controversy to establish the truth it was considered no less important that the other should wield the sword to extirpate heresy military heroism was thought as essential as scholarship for the defence of the faith a truly liberal mind will find its indignation in view of the atrocities of these religious wars mitigated by comparison in view of the ignorance and the frailty of man the protestants often needlessly exasperated the catholics by demolishing in the hour of victory their churches their paintings and their statues and by pouring contempt upon all that was most hallowed in the catholic heart there was however this marked difference between the two parties the leaders of the protestants as a general rule did everything in their power to check the fury of their less enlightened followers the leaders of the catholics as a general rule did everything in their power to stimulate the fanaticism of the frenzied populace in the first religious war the protestant soldiers broke open and plundered the great church of orleans the prince of conde and admiral coligny hastened to repress the disorder the prince pointed a musket at a soldier who had ascended a ladder to break an image threatening to shoot him if he did not immediately desist my lord exclaimed the fanatic protestant wait till i have thrown down this idol and then if it please you i will die it is well for men that omniscience presides at the day of judgment the lord god knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust End of section five.